women have not been given opportunities. We need to change this narrative to begin to say we have something we can offer. So I see that every woman has something she can offer. We've seen that time and time again. Once, you know, women have access to information when they are given opportunities to explore leadership, when they are given the right tools, maybe like resources are put in the hands of the of women, you'll find out that they become unstoppable. Welcome to How Women Inspire, where women lead, invest, and give. I'm your host, Julie Castro-Abrams, founder and CEO of How Women Lead and managing partner of the venture firm How Women Invest, feminist, social justice warrior, mother, friend of 50,000 plus badass women, and an expert at helping top executive women get on boards and break down barriers for women entrepreneurs, investors, and social impact activists. In this podcast, we interview women influencers and leaders from across the globe who are in the C-suite, founding companies, investing, and agents of change. We'll share stories of how women lead. We'll provide insights and data, tips you can put into action, and get to know the women who have fiercely and unabashedly stepped into their power in leadership and opened doors for other women like you. We discuss topics ranging from the journey of getting a board seat, how we can counter cultural frameworks that change the way the world views women leaders, what we're doing to close the gender funding gap, and driving equity for women in all aspects of life and career. My goal is that after every episode, you walk away feeling inspired, unstoppable, ready to level up and step into your power and influence. I want to break down the cultural narratives that hold us back collectively and those messy messages you heard that are taking up way too much of your brain space. I want you to know you're invited in because I know that together we can change the culture, change opportunities, and create the future we want for our daughters and sisters and friends. This is our time. Are you in? Welcome to How Women Inspire. Today's guest is an award-winning conservationist climate justice, and women's empowerment advocate. Inspired by her care for nature and unique sense of equity, at a very young age, she took a journey into the world of social activism where she founded the Environmental Management and Protection Network. Her work became centered on engaging grassroots women in natural resource stewarding and peacemaking. To date, her efforts have directly impacted over 20,000 women at the grassroots. She is one of nine young Nigerians selected by 350.org to build a climate change movement in Nigeria, the most populated country in all of Africa. She became one of 1,000 entrepreneurs selected for the second cycle of the Tony Elumelu Entrepreneurship Program. She is also a 2016 Global Good Fund Fellowship finalist, 2016 World Pulse Impact Leader and Ambassador, 2016 Empowerment Institute Scholar and Recipient of the Social Environmental and Advocacy Awards, 2018 Eco Business Advocacy Award, and appointed as one of the five 2022 World Trade Congress on Gender Ambassador. She sits on the board of a few organizations and companies in Nigeria, 
including Wise Waste Plastic Solution, Greenscape Integrated Global Services Limited, Green Environment Foundation, and Girl Child Right Awareness Initiative in Africa. She is also a fellow alum from our program, Women Leaders for the World, at How Women Lead. Welcome, Olaniki Olubolji. It is an honor to have you on our podcast today. How are you doing? I'm good, Julie. Thank you. So one of the things I love to ask people is, what is that song that uplifts you or supports you during the good times, the bad times? Do you, do you have a motto, a song that's, that's, your, that's your thing? Yes. Uh, I love The Strength of a Woman by Shaggy, a Jamaican musician. Nice. So we all have to put that on our Spotify list. So tell me a little bit about your journey. Really, you started so young. So how did you get inspired to work on environment, climate, and economic crisis? And, and why is women your focus? Yeah, so um, Julie, I actually became very passionate about the environment right from childhood. And um, growing up for me in the city, I had access to, you know, clean water. All I needed to do was turn on the tap and, um, you know, get myself water. But as I grew up and we traveled between the city where I lived and other parts of Nigeria, and we had to pass through the rural communities, I would see women and children carrying heavy containers of water on their heads, you know, walking from places where you couldn't even see. And you'll be wondering where they're coming from, uh, where they're going to. And as I grew up, I began to understand the disparities that existed in the world. And those images stayed with me. And I always told myself, someday I would do something about this to see how people live in harmony with nature, where whatever resources, for example, the issue of water that I mentioned. And so I studied urban original planning, first and second degrees. I didn't practice for long and I went back to my childhood dream of doing something about environmental challenges and also saying how people could have equal rights to natural resources. And interestingly, all the issues I was interested in would always take me back to the doorstep of women in the communities. For example, when you're talking about the issue of water, in my part of the world, it's usually women who are saddled with the responsibilities of providing clean water in their households. And maybe they get little help, little or not help from, you know, children, especially the girl child. And then you find out that these women are the ones who are most affected by environmental challenges and, um, of course, climate change as we have today. And they are the ones who are best positioned to drive the solutions. So I'm kind of caught in between, you know, the disconnect between the environment and then the roles that women can play. And that's what I'm working to bridge. Well, certainly they say that, you know, the environmental challenges show up in our most vulnerable, right? I mean, that's ubiquitous around the world. And so, you know, women are the, the ones holding yes. everybody up, yes, right? Yes, women like, are the ones yeah. You'll see it yes. in women before anybody else. So what is keeping you hopeful? What are you excited about when you think about what's coming next? Are there any glimmers of light in this problem that you're seeing? 
Yeah, for example, our organization continues to create opportunities for women, you know, to be at the front lines of addressing these challenges. You find that, that over time, the environment sector has kind of become quite sexist where women's voices are not heard. They don't have opportunity, you know, to engage actively in addressing the solution or driving the solutions, notwithstanding the fact that, you know, they are the ones who are worst affected. Women lack information. They have low position in the society. They don't have access to most leadership platforms that would enable them contribute. So I'm so excited, you know, by the possibilities that continue to open up for the women as we're able to build their capacities, you know, to be able to begin to engage actively and to drive the solutions. So if every woman could hear you today, what what would you say are the things that would be the most critical levers where they could make change? What are the things that women can do? Yeah, so we can stop being laid back. You know, we keep talking about, you know, women have been marginalized. Women have not been given opportunities. We need to change this narrative to begin to say we have something we can offer. So I say that every woman has something she can offer. We've seen that time and time again. Once, you know, women have access to information when they are given opportunities to explore leadership, when they are given the right tools, maybe like resources are put in the hands of the of women, you find out that they become unstoppable. And so I want women to be able to believe in themselves that they are unstoppable. Women are unstoppable. The moment we it. have the right tools. I love it. That's beautiful. I mean, the way you say that makes me actually believe it in my bones. I just want you to know. You make it seem like that is something we can all believe. Thank you, Julia. Yes. Yeah. For example, you know, the challenges that I've had to face to be on this podcast. And um, I, I just so believed that it's possible and nothing was going to stop me. The internet wasn't going to, whatever was not going to stop me to be heard. I, well, I, I love it. And, you know, the, one of the things that, that we know in entrepreneurship, for example, is they call it grit. Like that, it is that sort of like, I'm going to figure this out no matter what. I'm going to be resourceful. I'm not going to give up. That is, you literally, you exude that in spades. So let's talk about you a little bit more. Like what are one or two words or attributes that you would say people say that best describe you? Like what do people say about you? People talk about the kind of vision I have. I started the activism right from a very young age. I've um, always been a visionary, someone who is able to stay focused on what she believes in. Uh, so many people couldn't see what I was saying as I launched out, but today they are all celebrating me. So I'm a visionary, very passionate about what I do, and I'm always very creative. I would always find a way around whatever I want to do. I love that. So even before it's popular, you're the one who's going to say, listen, I'm going to I'm going to have the vision and say what I think it is before anyone can believe it but me. That's the sign of a great leader, someone who is going to lead the world. So what do you think? Are there specific leadership skills that you would say really propelled you to where you are today, winning just a bajillion awards? I don't think I've ever done a podcast with so many awards. I am, um, I have decision making skills and I'm very good at organizing. 
And one other thing I know has really, 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 one skill that has really continued to help me in my work is my ability to motivate others. Um, I don't like to give people fish. I love to teach them how to fish. And I've been very successful at doing that with women in my part of the world. They are motivated, more motivated than ever before once they get connected. I mean, that's fantastic. You are showing people what it looks like and then you're giving them the that sense of of personal capacity so that when you're not in the mix, they can do it when you're not around, right? That's what I'm hearing from you. It's 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 beautiful. Exactly. I love people to take ownership. So you've been going all around the world and seeing people work on this issue from lots of different angles. What is unique to Nigerian women or Nigeria? Like, why are you really having such a massive impact? Yeah. So in Nigeria, you find out that it is common for women to do the entire farm work, yet they are denied the right to own the land. Women are the ones who would source for water, but they do not have a say when interventions for safe water points are planned. Sadly, too, they spend every day searching for firewoods. They are exposed to toxic fumes when they are cooking, and still they are barely considered when cooking stoves are designed and are brought to the community. Who better should be at the forefront of designing the stoves than the women who are going to use them? Who better should be making the decisions on water management than the women who are responsible for providing water to the entire family? And, you know, you also find out that a lot of women are not informed about climate change. Women farmers don't understand why their crops are not doing well. When extension services are brought to the communities, maybe the rural areas where most of these women are engaged in farm work, they barely have access, you know, to extension services. They spend hours collecting water and firewood. They do a lot of farm work. And all this deprives them from engaging in more meaningful or productive activities that could better their lives. And you find out that when you expose women to knowledge, information, resources that equip them, it's like it, it, the narratives change because it becomes a whole new ball game for each of these women. You know, what the, the, the kind of, I don't know whether to call it, it appears to be like, you know, when a dark cloud, you know, just leaves someone, it's like they just become illuminated. They just receive illumination. What a You expose them. And then you find out that a lot of these women, you know, would pick it up from there and they begin to run. We have women who have moved from the backside of nowhere to beginning to take the lead. I remember in 2008 when I attended the first African Women and Water Conference uh, that held in Kenya in company of a grassroots women leader. We came back to her community with the knowledge, the technology we had learned. And then we replicated it. We equipped other women with the same skills. And these women were able to build biosand filters, which they were able to install in school, you know, in their village. And for the first time, a woman in that community became noticed. And this woman was a woman who went to Kenya with me. And as I speak to you, she's the first and only woman who has been integrated into the village council in her native homeland. 
And that has given other women in the community a change of mindset about what is possible for women. So you've said center women, put them at the centerpiece when you're designing solutions, make sure that women are considered and and invited in to participate. Do you believe that having women on the council that you're talking about is a solution that is that the solution or is that just the beginning of it? Because, you know, depending on who the person is, some of them are more community minded and inviting everyone. Other people just take it as a... It's just the beginning of it. Because whoever wears the who is the one who knows where it is. So when the women are there, you know, it's just the beginning of the solution. And then eventually these women become authors of their own change. They, for the first time, have the opportunity to become authors of their own change. Excellent. So my goodness, you have made, you're, you're such a critical architect and strategist for what are the solutions. But let's talk about you personally. Like, I really, I want to meet your mom. I want to know what was the influence that helped form your leadership and your sense of like, I can be this confident, inspiring leader with solutions that people should listen to. Tell us a little bit about what are the sort of lessons that you learned growing up? Yes. So I grew up in a middle-class home with a mom who was um, in the public service, yet she was very entrepreneurial. She was quite committed to community service. She was quite engaged in church. And then she would always reach out to people who were in need. And uh, my dad was actually an activist. He worked within the public space too, but he would always fight for the rights of other workers like him. I grew up in a household with parents who were role models. Beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. So what's next for you? Where are we going to see you in five to 10 years? What change are you coming upon? Yeah, so right from the time that I launched out into environmental activism, I've always had the dream of building a first of its kind women's eco-learning and resource center that will annually equip at least 3,000 women leaders with skills and seed capital that we put them at the front lines of driving environmental and climate solutions. So I'm still working it out. It's something that has stayed with me and will continue to stay with me until it materializes. So I've continued to strategize in terms of finding people who will believe in this aspiration and, um, you know, be a part of uh, making this happen. And so I'm continuing to develop strategies, um, network, and continue to put myself out there. When I tell people I'm a shy person, no one believes, but I'll say that my dream continues to drive me. And I see myself making this happen within the next five years. Fantastic. So hopefully there's somebody who's listening to this podcast who decides that they want to support you. If they do, how can they find you? So I'm on LinkedIn. I barely use Facebook. I'm on Facebook, but I'm not so active on Facebook, but um, quite active on LinkedIn because it's a, a platform, professional platform I believe in and gives me a better feel. Yeah, I think, of, I think most um, of the people, you know, most what I really want to connect. Yeah, most of the people involved with us are LinkedIn users. And so with that, we can find you on LinkedIn. And in five years, we are absolutely going to see this beautiful vision come to life. 
thank you so much for sharing with us this morning. What an honor to speak with you today and to really hear about the solutions to the climate issue, both that are going to affect women in Nigeria, but you are a role model for solutions around the globe where you center the people who are most impacted and know the most in the solution set. So thank you, my dear. Thanks. And with that, I want to thank you all for listening to today's episode of How Women Inspire. And because your inspiration should not stop when this podcast ends, head over to our website, howwomenlead.com. Follow us on LinkedIn at How Women Lead and subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast app to find out how you can proactively take charge and step into your power through our workshops and activism in our loving network. We want to propel you. See you next time, ladies. And remember to be unabashedly visible.